Welcome to the teaching ministry of pastors Carl and Cheryl Thomas. Our favorite verse is Habakkuk 2.14. For the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Consumed by that revelation, we are committed to recognizing, resourcing, and releasing high-impact ministries resulting in global glory, transforming lives to impact their world. We have a teaching that will impact you today. Now, let's get right into that word. All right, so if you've been uh, following along, we're doing the Mark series, and I'm going to bring you today the fourth installment of Mark. I thought I'd have a, try my hand at a joke first. It usually doesn't work. It's usually terrible, but I'm going to try again, just, just because. I don't know what you did to celebrate, but yesterday was National Talk Like a Pirate Day. We had a great time. <laughs> we had a great time. <laughs> so I, I got to do one joke, and then I'll jump into the sermon. Okay, all right. So uh, how much did the pirate pay to get his ears pierced? A buck in here. <laughs> Come on. Yes, I, oh, I got some laughs and some groans. All right. We'll leave it at one then. All right. We'll stop there. We got to get moving because we're moving. We are moving. We are. Like, we're actually moving. Like, this building is sold. We're moving. I hope you're moving in your life too because the Spirit of God is moving. He's taking us places. He's doing things in us. And I, what I want to talk to you today about is... Uh, being unstoppable. I don't know, I don't know if you, you, you've been tempted in the last like eight months or so to just kind of feel like life's been ground to a halt. Like maybe your progress, maybe your dreams, maybe the things that you've wanted to see in God that you've kind of come to a stop. That every time you try and take a step forward, there's something pushing back. There's a rule that's changing. There's something in your life that's changing. Maybe there's a little bit of anxiety about the future. There's just a roadblock. There's something that makes you feel like I'm not getting forward. I'm not moving. I mean, it's great to talk about movement. And sometimes there's things that want to push back. But I want to tell you today that in the grace of Jesus Christ, you are actually unstoppable. Jesus has started a movement in us, in us as people and in us as a church that is entirely unstoppable. He's building his church, he said, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. They will not stop. It will not stop. The gates of hell are not going to stop you. They're not going to stop me. They're not going to stop us. I hope you can feel the passion and the energy and the purpose and the zeal and the drive of Jesus when he says that. He says the gates of hell will not. They will not. I mean, he's putting all of his passion, all of his power, all of his, his energy and authority into that statement. They will not prevail. You will keep moving. You know, there's that paradox that says when an irresistible force meets an immovable object. Well, guess what? No such thing in the kingdom. Jesus said, you can come up against a mountain, a literal mountain if you do. And he says, you'll speak to that mountain and you'll cast it aside in Jesus' name. Right? He says, if you can believe, you're going to speak to the mountain and cause it to move. There's nothing in, in front of you that's going to stop you from moving. There's nothing that's going to stop the movement of God in your life, in our life, together, in our church. God has a purpose, a plan. He's got a preferred future for each of us and for all of us. And he's given us his Holy Spirit. He's given us his grace. And he's moving us along. And he wants us to move with him. Because he is actively and powerfully moving in us. You people talk about a move of God. Hey, there's a move of God every day when you wake up. There's a move of God in the world every day when you step your feet out of your bed and you start moving because God's moving with you. So we're going to talk today about unstoppable because there's really nothing that can stop you. There's lies. There's more lies and more lies again. And that's about it. 
But here's the thing. When we started this message, uh, this sermon series, Pastor Carl, he started at the first chapter of Mark. And he, I love this. He started with Jesus. He came up out of the water. He went into the wild and uh, he changed the world. Well, I love that Jesus in the book of Mark, he's moving. He's moving. He's got stuff to do. He's go, go, go. He's doing stuff. But the whole book starts with Jesus coming up out of the water. And what happens when he comes up out of the water, when he's baptized? What's the first thing that happens basically in that book? He hears the father speak over him and says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And in that moment, Jesus hears and accepts and receives the love and the validation of Father God before he does anything. Before he moves anywhere, he hears God speak his love into his life. He hears God speak over him and say, you're my son. In you, I'm well pleased. And I don't think it's a coincidence in that same moment when Jesus opens up to the love of the Father, that's when the Holy Spirit comes as well. See, Ephesians chapter 3, it says that when you know the love of Christ that passes knowledge, when you know by experience, I mean, you know, when you're convinced of God's love, it says that's when you're filled with the fullness of God. And there's all sorts of stuff out there teaching you how to get filled full of God. You know what the Bible says? Receive the love of God. Open your heart to the love of God and you will receive the fullness of God. So Jesus, before he gets moving, before he goes anywhere, he has this encounter with God. He, he, he knows, he receives the, the validation of God over his life. And in the power of that, he starts to move. And he starts to go into some places. It actually says the Spirit of God drove him into the wilderness. And he went and he had this encounter with the devil. He was tempted by the devil, I believe, in the same way that Adam was. And Jesus goes into the wilderness and the devil says to him, hey, you know what? Basically, this is me reading into it. The devil's like, hey, I know you're king of kings and lord of lords. I'm going to, if you'll worship me, I'll give it to you. You'll become the king over everything. Remember the devil took him up to the top of the temple, showed him all, or, uh, you know, up to the high place and showed him all the kingdoms of the earth. He was basically conceding, I know who you are. I know what you're here for. I know that your destiny is king of kings, lord of lords over everything. But you know what? If you bow your knee, I'll give it to you right now. And I don't think, I don't think Jesus, it was, it was a temptation for him to worship the devil. I mean, he, that's crazy. I think the temptation in that moment was for Jesus to reach out and say, you know what? I'm going to take my destiny into my own hands. I'm going to do something to fulfill my own purpose. I'm going to, I'm going to do like Adam did. And I'm, I want to be like God. I want to be in that place of destiny and calling. So I'm going to reach out and grab the apple or the fruit instead of just trusting what God's done inside of me. And thankfully, Jesus passed the test. And what happened to Jesus? Well, it says that he actually was raised up by God the Father and exalted by God the Father to his own right hand. And now he sits King of Kings, Lord of Lords, and at his name, every knee's going to bow. He got there by trusting in God. He got there by trusting and having faith and believing that the promises of God were yes and amen, even for him. And he said amen. He said no to the devil. He passed that test for you and for me. And now he's able to help us. He went through everything that we went through. In fact, the Bible says that he was tempted at every point like we are, yet he was without sin. He's able to help us because he suffered through things that we suffer through. I don't know, sometimes you, you can get energy or strength from somebody who's able to empathize with you. Well, Jesus is able to empathize with you. And because he's been there and done that for you, there's no legitimate way that you can say to Jesus, you can't help me. He's literally able to help you. There's no customized problem in your life that Jesus doesn't have a solution for. 
because he's been there and he's done that. So he gets moving. He receives the love of God. He receives the spirit of God. He moves into the wilderness. He says no to the devil. He trusts in God completely for all of us. And then it says he starts this amazing ministry where he starts to change the world. And the people are in awe of what's happening in his life and through his life. He's moving. He's moving with the spirit of God. And he's showing us what it looks like for a human being to move with God as well. Things happen. Things change. I mean, he goes into regions and whole, whole cities end up bringing their sick to him. You know, Pe- people are just coming and saying, where's this Jesus guy? I got to find him. And he's leaving every place he goes. He's leaving it better. He's moving along. He's going through the map. Maybe not through uh, Ontario there, but you know what? He would go through Ontario through you and through me. He's moving all over Israel. He's moving all over the place. And things are getting better. He's leaving things better behind. He's leaving a trail of of blessing and health and healing and salvation in his wake. He's moving. And this idea of moving is actually a really big deal uh, to God. As far back as in the, the Old Testament. Exodus 12, verse 11. Remember when the Israelites were uh, in slavery to the Egyptians and uh, God's wanted to bring them out? The Egyptians have gone through all these plagues and Pharaoh's like, no, still not letting you go, still not letting you go, still not letting you go. And then God's like, well, you, know, you keep hardening your heart. You keep, you keep being this way and the destroying angel is going to be loosed amongst you. And so the, he tells the, the Israelite people, he's like, here's what's going to happen. The destroying angel is going to come and it's going to kill the firstborn of every child or of every family. And here's how you can protect yourselves. This is what you got to do. You got to take a lamb. You got to bring it into your house. It's going to live with you for a couple of days. You're going to inspect it and make sure that it's fine. And then you're going to kill it. And you're going to take some of the blood and you're going to put it on the doorpost. You're going to put it across the top of the door, like the threshold, whatever. And the, the destroying angel, when the destroyer comes, he's going to see the blood and he's not going to be able to get through. You're going to be kept. That destroying angel is going to pass over you. And he says, you know, this is what you need to do. This is how you need to treat the lamb. This is what you need to do with the blood of the lamb. But also I want you to eat it. And I want you to eat it in a very particular way. He says, this is how you're going to eat the Passover. You're going to eat it with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand. You're going to eat it in haste. It's the Lord's Passover. If he was saying that in today's speak, what he'd be saying is, you know what? I don't want you to sit down at the table all relaxed with your turkey eating pants on and just sprout, sprawled out. He's going to say, no, I want you to sit down at the table. I want you to put your coat on. I want you to have your, you know, have your backpack ready to go. I want you to have your shoes on your feet. And I want you to have your car keys in your hand. And that's how you're going to eat this meal. Because you need to be ready to go. You need to be ready to move. So much so that the Feast of Unleavened Bread, he says in Exodus 12, verse 15, he said, for seven days after this Passover, you're not going to eat bread that has any yeast in it. Because you basically, you don't have time. You got to hit the road. We're moving. You've been in captivity. You've been bogged down. You've been bound by, by the devil. You've been bound by Pharaoh. But guess what? You're, we're, we're moving. We're going somewhere. You don't have time to sit around and let your bread uh, ferment with yeast. And isn't that what Jesus said about the Pharisees? He said, beware of the leaven or beware of the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. And Pastor Carl talked about that group of people in the second sermon of, of Mark. And here's the thing. If you're moving with God, if you're moving in the unforced rhythms of grace, you don't have time. You don't have energy. You don't have opportunity to sit around and build and to create these kind of formulas and patterns and systems and rules and regulations that form the basis of a performance religion such as the Pharisees had. You don't have time. You're moving. You're moving with the Spirit of God. You're moving with Jesus every day. You're moving. You're moving. You're moving. 
Now, here's the thing. Last week, we heard about power portals, and we looked at through the connection that we have with God, and here's something you really got to understand. You are connected with God. You have a connection with God. He's established you in it, and you know what? He maintains it as well. You have a connection with Jesus, with God through Jesus Christ. That connection is secure. You never need to doubt it. You never need to chase it. You've got it. You're in him. And he is your connection to the Father all the time. And because of that, we're able to access God, and God's able to access us. We're able to access the things of God through the door that Jesus is, and God's able to access the world around us through the door that Jesus is. And we're abiding in him, and we get the best of both worlds. We're in and out of the heavenly realm, and we're in the natural realm. We're in two places at once all the time because we're in Christ Jesus. So God wants to move, and we heard last week about how he wants to move through you. You're literally that portal that he wants to move through in the earth. So this moving thing is really, really important. It's a vital aspect of Christianity. It's a vital aspect of what the Spirit of God is doing in our lives. But... There are some things that you'll encounter in life that want to stop you, that want to hold you back, that want to keep you moving. Now, I'm here to tell you this morning, real quick, I could put this, the mic down and leave and tell you it's a lie. There's nothing that can stop you. There's nothing that can stop us. You know, you might be thinking, well, what about this? And what about that? My experience with this is blah. You know, and you might be thinking and pushing back and saying, no, no, there's, I'm stopped. Well, I'm here to tell you this morning that that's a lie. You're completely unstoppable. And in the Mark, Mark chapter 6 and 7, there's a few examples of how Jesus ran up against opposition and what happened for him and how he dealt with it. So real quick, here's just four things that you can run into that will try to slow you down and stop you from moving. Dishonor. Feelings of inadequacy, religious tradition, and a distance and delay mindset. And we're going to talk about those just a little bit here. But God wants to move through your life. I hope you're utterly convinced of that. And God moving in you and moving through you means you're going to move too. And you're not in a religious pursuit of, oh my goodness, God, how do I follow you? How do I do those things that you're doing? And, and you don't have to fret about it. You don't have to be anxious about it. You don't have to worry about it. This is probably one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. John chapter 5, 17 to 20. Jesus says, my father is always at work to this day. He's always doing something. He's go, 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 do, do, do. And, I'm, and I'm, I'm working too. But very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son does also. Now, have you ever thought about how, you know, we've been talking about this for, for, for four weeks now. Jesus is, is moving. He's on the go. He's doing stuff. But he's also the guy who said, you know, are you tired? Are you weary? Are you burned out? Come to me and I'll give you rest. Isn't it funny that the guy who says, I'll give you rest, is also a guy who's constantly going? My father's always working. I'm always working, even to this day. Isn't that funny? It makes you think, doesn't it, that the rest of God is not the absence of activity. It's not sitting around and doing nothing. The rest that God wants to give you is it's a deep, internal, abiding rest where you know that the works that you are doing are coming from the Spirit of God on the inside of you. It's, it's the kind of rest where you feel that you're moved by the grace of God. You're, I love the message Bible says, you know, learn the unforced rhythms of grace. You're flowing in your life. And you know, when you come into the rest of God, you might find yourself busier than you've ever been. You might find yourself doing things you never thought you would do. But it's in the grace, it's in the flow of these unforced rhythms of grace. It's moved, it's animated by the Spirit of God. Now look at this. Jesus says, for the Father loves the Son and shows him everything that he does. And he'll show him even greater works than these, so you'll be amazed. 
Jesus only did what he saw his father do. But then he says, you know what? The father loves me and he shows me what he's doing. I'm not stressed out every day. God, what's your will? How am I going to do this? No, he says, the father loves me. And that love, it's the word phileo. It's not agape. It's not like he loves me because he has to love me unconditionally. No, phileo means he has genuine personal affection for me. And I pray that that's an experience that you have on a daily basis. I mean, you wake up in the morning, you spend your day, and you do it just knowing, just bathed in the pleasure of God over your life, knowing that he loves you. He has genuine affection for you. He likes you. He likes the person that you are. He enjoys you so much that he wants you to do life with him. So much so that his grace is bringing revelation on a daily basis of what he's up to. And he's showing you daily what you can do with him. So that's the basis of our movement. Living in and out of the Father's affection for us. But sometimes, some forces can get in the way. The first one, like I said, is dishonor. And here's a, here's a story about Jesus. He goes to his hometown. He's just had an incredible time of ministry. He's just, uh, he's cast legion, the demons, out of the, the, the man, the incurable demoniac. He heals the lady with the issue of blood. He raises up the Jairus' uh, daughter who died. He raised somebody from the dead, literally. And then he says to his disciples, hey, let's go to my hometown. And I think he's super excited. I think he's pumped. I think he's like, come on, guys, I can't wait to loose the power and the glory of God on the streets that I grew up on. I think he's thinking to himself, you know, I remember Aunt Betty. I remember, you know, Jim down the street. I remember those people. I can't wait to go pray for them, heal them. I can't wait to bring change and stuff to the place where I grew up. So he goes to his hometown. He brings his disciples with him. They even let him speak at church. They let him stand up on a Saturday and speak. And when he does, they, they say to themselves, wow, where did this guy get all this wisdom? What are the remarkable miracles that he's performing? They're absolutely amazed. In fact, they love it at first. They're like, this is, this is fantastic. What a message. What miracles. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. He's just so, he, he, he's, he's celebrated. And then it's almost like in an instant, they start to think and question to themselves. And they're like, hold on a second. Hold on. Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this, this is Mary's son and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon. I mean, aren't his sisters with us too? I mean, we know this guy. Come on. Come on. We love the miracles. We love the teaching, but this guy, we know him. Nah, nothing special. Nothing to see. He's the guy we grew up with. He's the guy we saw every day for 30 years. He's the guy that we know. I mean, he came, he came to us as, as a toddler. In Nazareth, when he came out of Egypt, we've seen him grow up. We know he's a naughty kid. Come on, we know that he went to Jerusalem and ran away from his parents, right? I mean, they're starting to think all these kind of thoughts about him, and the Bible says they took offense at him. Not at the miracles and not at the message, but they took offense at him. And the funny thing about that word offense is that it actually, it doesn't mean like, oh my goodness, you've offended me. In, in the Greek, it's, it's scandalon, and it means a trap. It means like a snare. It's like a stumbling block that you trip over. It's like they're moving along with him. They're moving in the purposes of God. They're excited. They're pumped about the teaching. They're excited about the miracles. And then they stop and think, but man, we don't like the packages coming through. Stuck. Trapped. Trapped by that kind of thinking. Stumbling over the block. They can't get past what they're seeing in the package. And they don't like it. So Jesus pushes back and he says, you know what? A prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives and his own home. And that word honor, dishonor, without honor, it means unrecognized, the opposite of attributing worth. So he's not like, man, you guys dissed me and it hurt my feelings. He's like, no, no, you guys, a prophet, I'm here amongst you as a prophet and you're not recognizing me. 
You're not recognizing my worth, and that happens. You can become familiar with yourself and with each other. We can fail to recognize in one another the gift of God that we are to each other. You know, we can be, oh, I just come to church with so-and-so every week, or I do the same small group with those people. I've heard their story. I've heard what they got to say. I'm not too interested. Or, worst case scenario, you can start to do that to yourself. Yeah, I'm just the carpenter. Yeah, I just work here. I'm from London, Ontario. No big deal. Who am I? I'm just little old me. I can't do anything. And you can start to dishonor the work of God in your own life. Now, the thing is, it's a complete and total lie. It's all fa it's a fabrication. It's a poor way of seeing things. It's something gone unrecognized. The truth of the matter is, you're not poor little you. The truth of the matter is, you're somebody who's been established and anointed by God to bring change to the world. You're a born-again child of God, re recreated new creation. You've got God on the inside of you. Did you ever stop and think about the fact that God lives inside of us? Like, that's that in itself. I mean, you just think about it. We, we can say it because we all know it and we believe it. But I mean, when you actually stop and think about it, wow, the awe, the reverence of the whole thing, the power of it just floods your soul. And you're like, wow, the one who made everything lives inside of me. You know, there's this temptation where you can kind of become a little bit too, too familiar, even with the message. And we fail to see it and recognize it for the power that it is. This is why I'm so convinced that we're unstoppable. The gospel, the Bible says, is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. The gospel is the power of God. It's not going to be stopped. It welcomes everybody. And it has an overcoming power that's able to demolish all the opposition in its way. That's why you and me are literally unstoppable. The purpose of Jesus in our lives are literally unstoppable. It only comes grinding to a halt, so to speak, if we, if we start to treat it as if it's not as powerful as it actually is. So be in awe of the gospel. Be in awe of the gift of God in you. Be in awe of the gift of God in one another. Because it's powerful. It's powerful. Secondly, there's a temptation sometimes to feel inadequate. Like you're not going to move forward because you're lacking something. Now, I think in this story, Jesus' disciples probably walked away with him and they were thinking to themselves, wow, well, we've seen the good stuff. That's awesome. But we just, we just saw Jesus come up against a roadblock. He, uh, he had some serious difficulty there. And I think they were kind of thinking to themselves, well, if he's having difficulty, what kind of difficulty are we going to have? And, and they might have started to feel a little bit inadequate. And they might have felt like they, were, they, you know, they weren't up to the job. They weren't up for the task. And they might have been tempted to say, well, you know what? I'm just not going to, I'm not going to go. You know? And, 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 and that, I think that was there. And I think that Jesus preemptively, he gets in their face. And I think he says this to them. He says, he called them to himself. And he says, you know what, guys? I am going to send you out. And it says immediately he gave them power and he gave them authority to deal with demonic opposition. He sent them off with these instructions. Don't think that you need a lot of extra equipment for this. You are the equipment. No special appeal for funds. Keep it simple. This is Mark chapter 6, verse 7 and 8. In other words, I think he's trying to address their feelings of inadequacy. I think he's trying to say to them, you know what, guys? You don't need a whole bunch of stuff to do this. You actually, you actually are the equipment. You're God's equipment. He doesn't need lots of stuff. He doesn't need all the, the, the trappings of whatever you think you need in terms of ministry. I mean, you just get started. We've already seen that with Stefan. How am I going to touch the people on the street? Well, just get moving. We talked about this in our young adults group on Friday about the power of getting moving. You know, try and turn your car from a dead standstill and try and turn your car when you're doing 100 down the 401. It's a totally different experience. 
You know, when you're, when you're stuck at a standstill and you're trying to turn the wheel, you're, you're cranking the thing, right? On the 401, you can literally just kind of move your, your wheel with your finger and you're going to turn real quick. It's so much easier to get turned, to get adjusted once you're moving. So we got to move. We got to move. Jesus is moving. He's moving us. But he's saying to the disciples, he's like, basically, guys, I've given you authority. I've given you power. Get out there. You're not lacking anything. Even Jesus, when he came against this opposition, he came against this disrespect and this dishonor. He didn't let that shape and frame his mindset. The Bible says he was amazed at their unbelief, but then do you know what he did? He got up and he got moving. It says in Mark, he says he got up and he went to village to village and he was teaching. And then he started to pour his life into these other guys' lives. He didn't sit around and feel sorry for himself. He didn't let their narrative of dishonor shape him. He starts pouring into these guys. And then he wants these guys to see, you know what? You guys are effective as well. You guys are equipped in every way. And you and me are equipped. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says, Now, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. When are you going to receive power? When the Holy Spirit has come upon you. If you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit has come upon you. If you haven't, let's pray afterwards, because you will be. Better yet, open your heart right now. Jesus, bless, fill, baptize people right now with your glorious Holy Spirit. But if you've received the Holy Ghost, you've got the power. And if you look up that word dunamis, there's five things that that word dunamis, that, that dunamis power will produce in your life. One of them is miracles. Another one is money. That's great. One of it is morality. One of it's multiplication. But if you look it up, one of the other things that that dunamis power produces in your life is movement. You're going to flow. You're going to move with the Holy Spirit when power from on high comes upon you. Jesus said, you will be endued with power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and he has come upon me. 2 Corinthians 1.21 says, now he establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God. God has anointed you. I mean, if you are in Christ, by definition, you're in the anointed one. He is the anointed one. He is the anointing. If you're in him, you're anointed. Yeah? If you're in Christ, you're anointed. We are not chasing the Spirit of God, trying to get more smearings from him. We're abiding in Christ and letting him pour himself out of us. Because out of your innermost being is going to flow forth rivers of living water. Come on, that's good news. I'm fully equipped, completely resourced. I am the equipment. I don't need it. I don't need a truckload of stuff. I can go get started. I'm God's equipment. Come on. All right, number three, there's religious tradition, believe it or not, that's going to try and stop you and trip you up. Jesus' disciples, he sends them out. He pours into them. He sends them out. They go out and they start doing some amazing things. They start to heal the sick. They start to cast out demons. Jesus himself, he feeds the 5,000. He calms the storm. He ministers to the multitude. He has momentum. He has people moving with him. His disciples are starting to move in the power of God. Things are moving. Things are moving. And then guess what happens? The Pharisees come along. And isn't that just the way? You get super excited. You have a moment with Jesus. You start to walk in something. You start to feel something. You start to, start to step out in the power of God. You start to live animated by the Spirit of God. And then all of a sudden, this is what the devil does. He sends Pharisees in your life. And it could be in the form of a, a, a wonderfully loving person. It could be in the form of a book, a teaching, an internet sermon, whatever. 
but he's going to send Pharisees in your life. And Jesus finds himself surrounded with them. And immediately they start to ask him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders? In otherwise, I, we see all the amazing stuff. That's great. But by the way, you're not doing it right. By the way, you're not honoring our religion. That's wonderful that all this stuff is happening. But by the, how can it happen through you? You're not even praying enough every day. You're not spiritual, Jesus. You're not honoring the traditions. You don't spend enough time in your Bible. You're not even teaching your disciples to do these things, yet they're doing miracles. It must not be right. And immediately you start to move in the things of God and this kind of message, this kind of influence, this kind of spirit is going to come to you and it's going to tie and tie you, try and tie you up, which is the essence of what religion does. I mean, the etymological, the historical, the root of the word religion, where we get that word in the English language, it comes from the Latin word religare, which literally means to bind. That's what religion does. I mean, the Romans thought religion was great because it, it bound society together. It held them together. It, it provided some sort of social cohesion. We are bound together in the unity of the spirit. Not religion, not laws. Our lives make sense because of Jesus. He holds all things together by the word of his power. We don't need religion to hold us together or keep us together. But religion is going to try and tie you up. You're going to step out. You're going to start moving in things. And this religious message is going to come and it's going to speak words over you that are going to get you to begin to doubt your process. Begin to get you to doubt your, your, your relationship with God. Start telling you you're not doing it enough. You're not doing it right. That's great. That's wonderful what you've done. But if you want to go to the next level, if you want to see that new thing, you're going to have to do X, Y, and Z. That's a religious spirit. That's not okay. And Jesus was really, really harsh with these guys. And he replied to them. He said, you know, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, you guys honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far, far from me. You worship me in vain, and your teachings are only human rules. In other words, you're making this stuff up. And he said, when you do that, in Mark chapter 7, verse 13, you nullify the word of God. You make it of no effect. You take away the power of the word of God when you add to it traditions and rules and regulations and all that kind of stuff. You got to trust the power that's in the word. You got to trust the seed. We can become fossilized, stuck. We can be bound, brought to a standstill if we live by human traditions, ideas, ideals, rules, regulations, principles, and not by the power of God. That stuff's going to come in. It's going to try to get you to stop moving. But you know what? It's all a lie. And this is what Paul said. He said, make sure that nobody takes you captive. Make sure nobody stops your movement, your forward progress, locks you up, puts you in jail, keeps you from moving, binds you in fetters. Make sure that nobody does that to you through hollow, deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. Paul said, do not let anybody judge you by what you eat, by what you drink, by any religious observance that you do or don't do, don't let anybody judge you. Don't take that on. That's designed to tie you up, to keep you down. Throw it off. Get rid of it. Why? You, I mean, you've been set free. Why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Don't handle this. Don't taste that. Don't touch that. These rules, Paul says, which do th they're destined to perish. They're based on merely human ideas, commands, and teachings. I mean, they sound good. They have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any real value. They're not going to get you ahead. In fact, they're going to trip you up. 
The Bible says whoever lives by the law has to continue in the law. If you start, if you start off in the law, if you start, if you deviate, if you get, you know, your, your progress in God, honestly, this is how, if you study revival history, this is how movements of God come to an end. Sadly, it's because God's doing something wonderful. The people are experiencing freedom. And then somebody comes along and puts rules and regulations and tries to control it. And people get bound up, and the move of God gets bound up in the people of God because they're no longer free to respond to the Spirit. They've got to conform to these expectations that either they or someone else has thrown on them. That happens in moves of God. That can happen in our own personal lives. I don't know if you've ever had like a couple weeks, a couple months, a couple years where you've experienced absolute freedom. And then what comes into your head? These doubting, nagging thoughts. I'm not doing enough. I'm not doing enough. I need to do it differently. That's a lie. That's the liar. He's come to bind you. Cast that off in Jesus' name and keep moving because it's a lie. Finally, there's a, what I call, a, and I've heard Pastor Carl say this too, a distance and a delay mindset. That's the kind of mindset that says, you know what, I can't get moving right now. I'm not going to move with the Spirit of God right now because it's going to happen in the future. Or there's a reason why it can't happen now. It can only happen in the future. So Jesus, he's had all this ministry time. He sent his disciples out. He's doing more things, believe it or not. People are getting healed. Demons are getting cast out. And there's a lady that comes up to him. And this lady is a Gentile. And she says, Jesus, my daughter, she is afflicted by a demon. Can you please set her free? And he says one of the most peculiar things. I mean, at first glance, it's a little bit rude. He basically says, no. First, let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs bit harsh, eh? Calls her a dog. But in the context, what's happening is he's saying, you know what? First, I've been called to the people of Israel. I mean, this gospel message is for everybody. It's for the nations. It's for the Jews and the Gentiles. It's for everyone. But first, I got, I'm here for the Jews. And the lady says, that's not good enough, basically. Sorry, Jesus. Even the, even the, the dogs get the crumbs from the table. And Jesus says, wow, because of your answer, because of your faith, it's going to be done for you. Your daughter is healed and set free. Isn't that amazing? She was able to transcend the, the timing of God. Now, here's the reality about the timings of God. The time is always now. I think, Jesus, I think the faith that that girl had was the faith to say, you know what, I'm not going to wait. No, because it's not about times and seasons. It's about who you are. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. I'm not waiting on a season from God. There's so many things that are in the person of Jesus Christ that are ours right now. I mean, we, especially in the charismatic world, we're, we're obsessed with times and seasons. And I do think God moves in, in certain ways in certain, you know, times and stuff. He, he's got a mind and a plan. But for the most part, a lot of the things that we're relegating to the future are things that are fully accomplished and fully realizable for us through faith in Jesus Christ right now. So Hebrews 11.1 1 says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for. Now, right now. Faith that says God's going to do something for me in the future, I got to say, it's wonderful faith, but there's a, there's a now component to our faith that has to say, he can do that for me now. He's done that for me, and it's applicable to my life right now. Ephesians 1.3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. Past tense, already blessed us with every spiritual blessing. And I, I know Pastor Carl said, said this before, spiritual blessing, that's, that's a word thing. I mean, you might be thinking, well, why the distance and why the delay in, in my life? Well, those spiritual blessings are word things. 
Logia Pneumataco, something like that. It's spiritual words. You got to put words to it. It's good stuff. Revelation 22, 2 says, in the middle of the street on either side of the river, John, the, the revelator, if you will, he's, he sees a vision of heaven. He sees the throne. From the thrones coming a river. And on either side of the river, there's the tree of life. And he says that what he sees about that tree is that it's constantly bearing fruit every month. And the leaves of this tree for, were for the healing of the nations. Now, I got news for you. That's not just a future thing. Jesus is the tree of life. Jesus is the tree of life right now. He has delivered me from the bondage of times and seasons. Whatever he is, whoever he is, as he is, so am I in this world. In this world right now. Right? I'm telling you, we got to demythologize, de de despiritualize the kind of ideas that we have that talk ourselves out of God moving in us and through us right now. And all the, the, the narratives that we've created that says God's going to do it then. God spoke to me and he's going to do it in the future. Those kind of things. We've got to get rid of that. Because now's the time and this is the moment. God wants to do something through us in a big, big way. He wants to do something through you. He wants to do something through us. We are unstoppable unless we listen to these lies. We don't become unstoppable. We just stop moving. The reality is you can move anytime you want to. Pick up your feet and move it. Didn't he say that in the Bible? Everywhere you step your foot, I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to bless you there. Everywhere I put my foot, I'm going to move. We're going to move and I'm going to move with the expectation that everywhere I go, I'm bringing God with me. Maybe God's not in certain places in society or in the world right now because nobody's brought him there. Instead, we're praying God in and he's saying, no, I'm going to come. I'm going to go, but I'm going to go through you. I'm going to show up in that, out, that realm. I'm going to show up in that space. I'm going to show up in that relationship, but I'm going to do it through you. So that means you got to go. That means you got to move with him. And it also means that when you're there, you got to be engaged. You got to be fully present. Now, thankfully, Holy Ghost is on the inside of me. He keeps me present before God. He keeps God currently present before me all the time. There's an unbroken connection all the time. And I can go into every situation, not kind of holding back and thinking, I don't know if this is the time. I don't know if this is the place, the time. It is the place because Jesus is in you and he's in you for such a time as this, right? So here's the thing. Here's a quick little summary. We want to move. We're moving. The spirit of God is moving. Whether you know it or not, he's moving. He's moving in you. He's moving through you. Sometimes he's doing things through you that you don't even know about, but he's doing stuff. He's moving. He's on the move. We're on the move. We're not just moving the building. I mean, we as a church are moving forward in the purpose of God. We're moving in the expression of all the things that he's invested in us as people. And as a congregation, we're moving. We're stepping forward into all of that because the spirit of God is moving and we're moving with him. So here's a couple things, just real quick, a couple keys to keep you moving with Jesus. One, recognize the gift that you are and recognize the gift that the people around you are. See, honor, recognize who God is inside of you. Second Corinthians says, we stopped evaluating other people from a human point of view. We stopped it. We cut it out. We quit it. Done. Not doing it anymore. Why? Because Christ was raised from the dead. And when he did, he raised everybody up with him. And now whoever's in Christ is a new creation. And they're now worthy of being seen in a different way and in a different light. So we're going to recognize the gift of God in each other, but we're going to recognize the gift of God in ourselves. And we're not going to speak over ourselves anymore and say things like, well, I'm just so-and-so. I've only got this. I've only got that. No, you, you, you got the Holy Spirit. You've got the dunamis power of God. You've got the exousia. You've got the authority of Jesus given to you. Secondly, you've got to know that you're fully resourced. You've got to know that you're fully equipped. 
I would challenge anybody to find me in the Bible where it teaches you how to get more power. I would challenge you to find in the Bible a verse where there's instruction from the Apostle Paul telling you, this is what you got to do to get more of the power of God in your life. And with that goes a lot of bookstores. He's always praying, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be opened, that you would be enlightened, that you would see the power that you have, that you would recognize, realize it, embrace it, awaken to the reality of the surpassing greatness of his power that he already exercised in Christ when he raised him from the dead. He raised you up together from the dead, and if the spirit of Jesus that raised him from the dead dwells in you, he's going to give life to your body. He's going to manifest life through you. That same spirit is going to flow out of your life and touch and bless and make a river of life everywhere you go. You've got the power, so you got to know it. Listen to Jesus. Luke 4, 18, he stands up in the synagogue and he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me. He knew it. He knew it. He embraced it. He knew it. I think that's a, a beautiful thing. When you can get up and you can say, wow, the spirit of God is on me today. He is upon me and he is upon me to do the dishes. He is upon me to love my neighbor. He is upon me to minister to the people in my small group. He is upon me to be a friendly, smiling face. He is upon me to pray prayers that are going to change the world. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me, and I know it. I know it. I embrace it on a daily basis, and I would encourage you to do that too. Know that he's established you. Thirdly, live freely by the Spirit. Don't get bound up in religious tradition. Paul, in the Message Bible, Galatians chapter 5, his counsel is this. Live freely, live animated by God's Spirit, and then you won't feed the compulsions of selfishness. He says, why don't you choose to be led by the Spirit and then escape the, <laughs> love this, escape the erratic compulsions of a law-dominated existence. The erratic compulsions of a law-dominated existence. That means if you embrace a lifestyle by rules and regulations and principles and all that stuff, you're going to be erratic. You're going to be up one minute and down the next. You're going to be in, then you're going to be out. You're going to feel like it, then you're not going to feel like it. And it's all going to be based on how you're performing or your relationship to the rules and the principles that you've set up in your life. Paul says, throw that stuff out. Get rid of all that erratic stuff. Get rid of all that I'm up one minute and down the next. I'm, I'm having a great day today. I'm having a bad day. Get rid of that stuff. Be led by the Spirit of God. Amen? That's so good. And then finally, live fully in the now. And that's completely possible because Jesus is in the now. Jesus is fully in the now. 2 Corinthians 6, verse 2, he says, In an acceptable time I heard you, and in the day of salvation I helped you. Well, that day of salvation, I hope you're not looking for it somewhere. That happened. The day of salvation already happened. In that day I helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time, and now is the day of salvation. We are living in the day of the Lord. We're living in that perpetual day. We're living in the day of salvation. The day of salvation is when you enter into what Jesus has done for you. When you embrace it, you're in the day. The day of salvation, therefore, is today. There's not a future day. I'm not setting a future date for when I think God's going to heal my body. I have a full expectation that that's right now. Not even after lunch. It's right now. It's now. We're on the move. These things are lies that will bind you up, but they cannot stop you if you refuse them and you reject them. They can't even stop you anyways. They're just lies. They have no power over you except for if you believe it. So the challenge is be transformed by the renewing of your mind and get moving. Move with the Spirit of God. Move.
Romans chapter 8, final thing. It says, don't you see, we don't owe this do-it-yourself life one red cent. There's nothing in it for us, nothing at all. The best thing to do is to give it a decent burial and get on with your new life. Get on with your new life. No more religion, no more rules, no more trying to figure it out. Just get on with it. God's spirit beckons. There's things to do and places to go. This resurrection life you receive from God, it's not a timid, grave-tending life. It's adventurely expectant, greeting God with a child like, what's next, Papa? Doesn't that just beautifully describe the life of the Holy Spirit, life in God? He's in us. He's moving in us. We're moving with him, and we are unstoppable. There is no unmovable obstacle in our lives. By the Spirit of God, it's got to go. You see a mountain, you shout grace, grace. You say, get out of the way in the name of Jesus, and you keep going. Amen?